John, uh, we're going to be joined by uh, somebody we both like dealing with in New York Met Clubhouse. And by the way, in the Arizona Diamondback Clubhouse, uh, Tommy Pham. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing what Tommy has to say. Uh, he is one of the most honest guys going. And I guess 30 years ago, nobody would make that distinction of who the honest guys going are. But now everybody edits everything down and everybody's trying to be diplomatic. And, you know, that if you say something, it might end up on Twitter and everybody's very careful. But Tommy Pham, not careful. Can't wait no. to hear it. No, you hear what's on his mind, which is good if you do what we do. And I'm sure he'll be good on the show. Uh, he joins us. We'll talk about the new Hall of Fame ballot that's out. We'll play Hidden Error at the end if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Amon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. John, this is a week I think something should be bigger news than it generally is, which is the revealing of the Hall of Fame ballot. Obviously, a lot is made when people enter the Hall of Fame justifiably, right? It is the Hall of Fame. But simply to get on the ballot, uh, you know, I'm, I've been part of the screening committee, I think, for the last three years that kind of decides you got to play 10 years. You got to have a level of distinction. You got to have a group of us on that committee. I think it's got to be at least two people think you should get on the ballot, it means you're probably a top 10% of players of all time. And that the ballot came out this week. It had all the returning guys. I think there were 14 returning guys headlined by Todd Helton, who got 72.2% of the vote. But John, they, a lot of interesting new candidates, Adrian Beltre, who I assume is going to waltz in, and then some tough calls on guys like Joe Maurer and Chase Utley, et cetera. Take it wherever you want to go on the ballot. Well, Beltre is a slam dunk. Uh, I mean, 93 war, 477 home runs. I mean, he's clearly a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, I guess we'll be criticized when he isn't unanimous, but uh, that doesn't matter. He's going to get in, I'm sure, on a first ballot. Uh, I, I favor Maurer. I, I have a little extra sympathy for the catchers. Tough position. His uh, catching career was cut short when he got a concussion. Did win three batting titles as a catcher. It is the Hall of Fame, I think, you know, in his day, he was the best, uh, you know, or among the couple best. So to me, those two should get in, I think. Uh, we'll see. Maurer's a first ballot. I'm not sure. I think at least close. Uh, certainly worth considering. He's fewer than 2,000 hits. That may be held against him. Um, you know, and there are a lot of other really good players on that ballot that I'm going to take a close look at. And uh, I'm going to again look. I haven't voted for 
Helton or Wagner yet, and I think they're trending up. What, what, where do you stand there? I mean, I personally, you know, and I don't think I don't think the whole very good is a good is a fair thing to say. These are all great players. He's, I, you know, I don't like to besmirch anybody and say, oh, he's all very good. You know, that that sounds like a put down. Billy Wagner is a great closer. Tom Helton was a great hitter. To me, they're just not over the line for Hall of Fame. I don't know where do you to me. They're going to get yeah, in. And we're going to have a couple more guys get in who I probably not going to vote for. I don't know. Where do you? Where yeah, do you yeah, I always try to remember that you vote for people. You don't vote against them. I guess that's semantics. Uh, you know, you're deciding who's probably in the top one percent, the players of all time, and guys to me like Todd Helton and Billy Wagner fall in like the two to three percent. Uh, they're just below the line. And I know people take that as an insult. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm saying they're better than 97 or 98 percent of the players who have ever played Major League Baseball. Just to go back, like just because you mentioned Mauer, his ending, his career arc and his ending numbers are very similar to Don Mattingly. There's about five dominant years uh, where you could make an argument. Is he the best hitter in the sport? Uh, I think they both won MVPs. Uh, Mattingly won a batting title. I think you mentioned Mauer won three. And then due to injury, the back end of the career, that last five to eight years, was very similar. You know, contact-oriented, but they lost power. Uh, You know, Mauer had to shift out from catcher. Uh, and their end numbers, if you go look at the final numbers, they're very close to each other uh, in, in totals. And Mattingly's obviously a guy who didn't get in. I think you said the key thing, does the fact that Mauer's front end was at a position like catcher turn this different for him and get him in? Though I would argue Mattingly's one of the three, four, five best defensive first basemen in the history of the game. It's an interesting one. And John, just because it, it, the, the Utley one, I'm going to be vexed by Utley. Because you mentioned the accumulation is not going to be strong, but I'm such a big guy for winning. And he feels like when when, when you talk about Billy Wagner, and I hate to do this, like Billy Wagner had very bad numbers in the few postseasons he appeared in. And he was a major reason why his teams got eliminated in a couple of those years. And I think like if you're going to be the field goal kicker of our sport, you got to make those field goals. And he didn't make them. Whereas I think Chase Utley... That, that great Phillies team, he was an engine to that five, six-year run. I could separate him all that much from Jimmy Rollins, who didn't get a – Jimmy Rollins got uh, 12.9% of the vote last year. Like, do both belong in? Do neither belong in? I don't know. Where where are you on that? Yeah, I can't separate them very much either. I have ended up voting for Rollins, uh, not because he was on our podcast, but, I, you know, to me, I think he was dynamic, and I eventually vote, voted for him. I didn't vote for him his first year, and I, it may be the same with Utley. Um, you know, to me, he's a winner. Uh was a great defensive second baseman, was great in the postseason. Uh, I'm all about impact, you know. Uh, back to Maurer and Mattingly, yes, they are similar. I voted for Mattingly. I, I'm more about peak and impact than – Career numbers and uh, and fame. I'm I'm about fame. Uh, Maurer was a great in my mind. Um, Utley right on the border. Uh, I, I'm betting it's going to be like Rollins and like Roll uh, like Roll Roland for me, where I didn't vote for him initially, and then I ended up voting for him. Uh, I am switching on Beltron. I am going to vote for Beltron. I do think he is a Hall of Famer. As you know, I withheld the vote last year due to the Houston situation, and I said I would vote for him in subsequent years. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I always vote for Andrew Jones, too, so I'm going to have at least five guys in there. But, I, you know, I'm with you on uh, on Wagner. Uh, you know, uh, 
you know, he's obviously great. I'm not diminishing him. Uh, I'm sure he's not going to be happy with either of us, but I, I'm not diminishing him in any way. I think he was great. He certainly struck out a ton of guys. He limited to a very low batting average, had a great ERA. I think his whip is right there with Mariano. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you. If you're you're the closer, even if it's only 10 or 12 innings or something, they, they better be pretty good innings. And, uh you know, he really did not come up big in those games. I mean, maybe it's just bad luck or whatever. But, uh, you know, to overcome that, to me, you'd have to have enormous bulk numbers. You know, maybe if he had 500, 600 saves or something like that, I would say so. I think he's getting in. You know, I'm not going to argue strongly against it. You know, I get it. He was great, certainly. And uh, I'm with you. I think he's in the top 2% for sure. But, I, I just have trouble with that. With Helton, too, it didn't to me, didn't have the big, you know, if you're going to be in Coors Field, I'm not counting it against you necessarily, but if you're going to be in Coors Field, you're going to have to have big bulk numbers, too, and he didn't have 400 home runs. Now he was a great hitter. I'm not saying he's not certainly worthy of strong consideration, but and he's going to get in, but I, I don't, I can't get there. I think one of the reasons that Billy Wagner was limited to 10 or 12 innings was because of Billy Wagner, right? Like they, they got eliminated a few, few, few times, uh, you know, like we were both in a ballpark in game seven at uh, the NLCS in 2006. And the manager of the team, Willie Randolph, seemed to have lost faith in Wagner. Aaron Heilman's in that game at the end to get, to give up the key home run. Uh, and again, this ends up being where you're saying something bad about somebody who you think is great. And right, great. I hate I hate Nothing that bad, practice great, at that right. time of year. But you're kind of trying to separate the one percent from the two percent or the two percent from the three percent and four percent. And, you know, it's 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 a difficult game. And I don't think the Hall of Fame is diminished if Billy Wagner is in it. It's not diminished if Todd Helton's in it. It's a, you know, it's a bit of a democracy. It's hard to get to 75%. I think you're right. I think both of those guys will ultimately get to 75%. I did vote for Beltran last year. You know, you mentioned Andrew Jones actually finished above Beltran last year, got 55% of the vote. Beltran got 46.5. I think that whole group of center fielders was hurt by playing at the same time as Griffey. You know, like Griffey was so obviously great, obvious Hall of Famer that Beltran and Andrew Jones and Jim Edmonds and Bernie Williams and Torrey Hunter and Steve Finley and Mike Cameron and Johnny Damon. Like there's a group of center fielders who are exceptional historic players. I wonder without Griffey, do guys like Lofton, I didn't even mention, do Lofton and Bernie, do they get a lot more attention? Does Jim Edmonds get in? Do Andrew Jones and Beltran get in easier? I'm not sure, but it it was an historic period for above average center fielders. Right. Well, they were, and they were great. I mean, Bernie Williams is a great player. Kenny Lofton, they're all great players. Uh, I did not vote for any of those players. Andre Jones, to me, 400 home runs, 10 gold gloves. I mean, there's basically, what, four guys who've done that, right? Schmidt, Mays, Griffey, as you, you mentioned, Jones. I, I don't think anybody thinks of Griffey or even, you know, in their back of their mind, they're thinking, well, I've seen a better center fielder than this. I, I don't think that's it. They just... The bulk of the voters, for whatever reason, thought that Bernie Williams and Kenny Lofton and Jim Edmonds and the others that you mentioned were just short. And I personally would knock folks off the ballot who were just short. I, I'd keep the ballot, keep them on the ballot because guys have gone from very little to 75% in the past. I think Wag Wagner's one guy who's going to do that. Uh, I do think there's too much groupthink. You know, there's too much on the internet that's influencing people that's probably led to people going from 10% to 75% which is, I think, why the MVP candidates now, I 
I mean, I would have voted for Acuna and uh, Otani ultimately anyway, but do you think they really think they were 30 for 30? You think if there was no Twitter and nobody was saying anything about who they're voting for and why this guy is great or whatever, you think nobody would have voted for Corey Seager? I mean, he helped his team, I mean, eventually win the World Series, but getting the playoffs, incredible, uh, very good defensive and incredible offensive shortstop for a winning team. We used to not vote for guys who were uh, not on winning teams uh, very often, and now it's like, Thrown by the side. I think it's. I think we got a bit of group think going on here. I mean, Acuna I would have voted for ultimately, but there was a case for bets, right? He didn't have a higher war than Acuna. Nobody zero. He got zero votes. Uh, I think it's it's too much group think going on. I think it's a worse thing, John. I think it's group fear. I think people are afraid to be uh, beat up on the internet uh, by the worst of the trolls. Instead of either ignoring it, shutting it off, whatever, you know, vote what you think. Uh, And I think that we're probably going to be more archaic voters as this goes along with the Hall of Fame, because I think people are going to look at the metrics and have groupthink. And I'm a big guy, again, for winning. Beltran is an easy vote for me because I think in that group of center fielders I just mentioned, I think he's the second best after Griffey in the air. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, no question like, that. Like, and then he nudges over the line because he was such a great postseason player. You know, Utley's ability to help a team win. The fact that Maurer's team, you know, Maurer didn't perform well in the postseason and his teams never really advanced. I, I, I mean, Again, we're looking at these thin margins between the one and two percent. Again, you do you hold it against Helton, that terrible, you know, he's on a tough place to win in Colorado. I don't know. But like like the goal of the game isn't to accumulate war or to have like great statistics. The goal of the game is to win and players who help you win like Jimmy Rollins, like Johnny Damon. Uh, I think they have much greater value than we end up kind of giving them at this time for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I think Maurer is enough over the line. I'm gonna not gonna look at his postseason numbers. I, he did get that hit, the worst call we've ever seen. You remember the Phil Cousy yes. call in left Phil field, Cousy, right? right? Where yeah. the ball uh, lands in fair territory about ten feet, and uh, it was called a foul ball. Uh, you know, in those days we couldn't do anything about that, and uh, it was it ended up being he ended up uh, not getting that double. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think the postseason plays big for me. I'm about impact. So, I mean, I voted for David Cohn. I was one of the, I wouldn't say few, but there weren't a ton of people who voted for David Cohn. I always supported Schilling, except for that one year uh, where he, he got on the writers quite a bit. But nine out of 10 years, I supported Schilling. And, uh, you know, I think impact is important. And that's, you know, again, why I didn't ultimately or I haven't voted for Billy Wagner. And I haven't sent in this year's ballot. You know, who knows? Maybe I could change my mind. Maybe I'll add someone. I mean, there are a lot of guys on this ballot I want to at least look at. I mean, David Wright had a great start to his career. Obviously, he got hurt. He's probably a little bit short. Uh, Matt Holiday, who we've had on as well as Jimmy Rollins, he, he had a great career. I mean, I don't want to hear all very good for any of these guys. He was great. But is he a Hall of Famer? You know, might might be a little short. Bartolo Colon, great career, too. I mean, there were a lot of guys on this ballot. We we don't have those 10-year relievers like we used to get on this ballot. The the the, the committee's uh, doing a better job of winning them out. But uh, So everybody was worth considering. Uh, but uh, David Wright had a career somewhat, again, like Maurer and Mattingly, right? Like that front yeah. five to six was Hall of Fame level. Uh, you know, well, he was on a track for like a belt trade like career. Right. Scott but Mauer like was career. the best catcher and Manning was the best player. All, you know, arguably, I, you know, I wouldn't 
I'd have to go back and look, but I, I didn't feel that about Rodman. I, mean, I thought he was obviously great and an all-star and all that, but I didn't feel he was in that category during his prime. But we didn't think that. Uh, I, I, my my comp was like he was on like probably a Beltre Roland trajectory, guys who yeah. got in, uh, who might not have been looked at as the greatest of all time, but they were well above average guys at the best position. John, just to put a point, finer point on it, why don't I just say the 12 guys who are the new guys on the ballot? I'm sure anybody listening to a baseball podcast probably knows it, but just in case we mentioned Beltre Utley. Maller Wright, Bartolo Colon, you mentioned Matt Holiday, Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Reyes, Jose Batista, who had a fantastic, I mean, again, to your point, everyone had a fantastic career. Victor Martinez, James Shields, and Brandon Phillips, and the uh, leading vote getters who are returning, Todd Helton, Wagner, Andrew Jones were all over 50%, Beltran at 46.5, and then steroid guys, A-Rod, 35.7, and Manny, 32.2, and our guy, Jimmy Rollins, all the way down to 12.9. John, uh, By the way, do you you vote for A-Rod? I don't. You don't vote for A-Rod. But you Do you voted, vote for A-Rod? No, I don't vote for any steroid guys. Uh, but yeah. you voted for Bonds and Clemens, right? What's the, yes. what's the distinction there? Uh, probably too long to go into, but if I were just doing a separating uh, situation, I think it became offensive uh, when uh, <laughs> you get bagged the second time. Uh, like, like, you know, you could play a little bit loose. Your bar is pretty low, but he's still... It's a, Lucy, he, it's a he, loosey-goosey he, era, but yeah. then... When it comes back again that you didn't stop, right. you know, it's going to be like the Robinson Cano thing. You didn't stop, and therefore you're not going to get the vote. Right. So your bar is pretty low, but he still didn't clear it. So he, he didn't I, clear it. And, and, and look, I, I mean, maybe Sheffield? I'm – Sheffield? How about Sheffield? I mean, yeah. uh, just it's on the ten, This is his 10th year on the ballot. He's uh, yeah. like Jeff Kent last year. This is his last chance to get I it. don't get the support there. He's moving up on the ballot. And I again, we're not – he was great, but I, that one I don't get because he was steroid guy and he's borderline. Now, if he had no steroids at all, there's no steroid attachment to him, uh, and he had those numbers, I think he's probably over the border and a Hall of Famer. But he he's clearly a steroid guy to me. I don't know what the what's what's the issue. Why? No, to me, that's the strangest thing about it that Sammy Sosa get almost no support. Uh, clearly a steroid guy. Ortiz clearly a steroid guy. Got eighty percent. And Sheffield may get in. I mean, I don't get all the different distinctions everybody's making. They were all well, we got a lot of they were time. All home. They were all qualified on their on what they did, and yet they were steroid guys. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of time between now and when the ballots officially go in, and then more time until they're officially announced a few weeks into January. I'm sure we'll be chewing on this ballot a lot more and all the reasons steroids are not for guys to vote or not vote for them. But if you stick with us coming up next, uh, free agent outfielder, Tommy Pham. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Joining us on the show is free agent outfielder Tommy Pham. He played in New York last year, so John and I got to see a lot of him. He was very good for the Mets. He was very good for the National League champion Arizona Diamondbacks. If I were going to put a point on it, Tommy, uh, there were only 20 players in the whole sport who reached 16 homers and 22 steals last year. Would you like to know how many of them are free agents right now? 
He's on the show, the only one who reached both of those numbers. And it makes me wonder, because I know we talked about this in the postseason a little bit, Tommy, the idea of going into free agency. Uh, you had a very good year, and yet the suspicion is always a player like you has got to wait. You're going to get a one-year contract. That's not going to be for top money. Take us through being your tier free agent. What, do you, what are you doing right now? Are you even hearing from teams, or do they have to get through other people before they get to you? Free agency, one, though, you control your own free agency ultimately, you know, based off your performance. You know, if I put up a season like 17, 18, or 19, you know, I'm, I'm easily a top dog regardless of my age, you know, and, and that's what kind of still motivates me, you know, to put up another great season just to shut up the naysayers, so to say. There is a ton of interest already compared to last year, of course. You know, kind of how free agency works is, you know, and uh, I could give you, you know, with me being in free agency two years in a row, in 2021, I probably had 10 to 12 teams call and, and you know, talk over the course of the offseason and lockout, that, that lockout offseason. Then uh, when the lockout, when we got unlocked out, I would say that offseason, I probably got about, about five to six offers, somewhere around there. A lot of the teams were were trying to bank on me, you know, having a rebound year. So it was a lot of teams like uh, that necessarily you wouldn't say they were contenders. Then last year, I, I only had three teams interested. And this year, the interest is like 10 teams already. You know, there's been about, you know, my agency has talked to about 10 teams, no offers yet. And um, that's kind of how this game is played in free agency. You know, you get about, you know, and this it's what it looks like this year, 10 to 12 teams interested. And uh, based off my previous experience, I'll probably get about five or six offers out of, out of those teams. The good news is so far this year, um, a lot of the teams are playoff teams. You know, they're, they're teams that we can expect to be contending you know, in, in September and October. I'm not surprised there's a ton of interest. I mean, you had a great year. I mean, you were you a were key man for a uh, World Series a team. You batted third when I was there in the NLCS. I ultimately batted fifth a lot, but uh, certainly understand uh, the great interest in you. Uh, I wanted to ask you, when, when you were traded from the Mets to the Diamondbacks, what did you think? I know you're from Las Vegas, so it's, you know, somewhat close. You probably like that aspect of it, but nobody saw them as a World Series team. Did you see them as an old World Series team ultimately? And and how did the Diamondbacks do it? I, I didn't see them as a World Series team when I got traded. Um, when I spoke to Mike on the phone, uh, once he traded for me, he said I was going to play every day. And, he, and he, he, he said he thinks his team could open a lot of eyes and, and surprise some people. And, you know, I didn't see it. I didn't have his vision. But, and, and you know, with the rough start we had once I was traded, we were in a nine game losing streak I believe I was a I had I saw or I played in seven of them and I, I was like man this is an uphill battle but then towards the end of August early September you know we, we started putting together winning streaks and and I started to see things come together uh, with the team um, our bullpen started to take shape and uh, we, we started to find ways to win games um, offensively. My mom, ultimately, she she loved the trade because, yes, it, it's closer to home. 
you know, I don't really care about the logistics of, of where I play, you know, from playing on the West, playing on the East, that, that really doesn't bother me anymore. I just more so care about playing on a, a contending team and, and, and of course playing. You know, Tommy, uh, the, there's, they won 84 games. They got to the NLCS. You're a good observer of the game. Do you believe this is just the beginning for a team that has Corbin Carroll, Merrill Kelly, uh, Zach Gallen? Uh, that this is a team that is going to be a perennial? Or do you think there was some flukishness of you guys getting in this year and going as far as you went? No, that team is a good team. Um, with the expanded playoffs, I, I definitely see them as as a team that's always going to contend with with the core they have. They have they have two horses. You know, Gallon, Gallon and Kelly are studs. When you look at all the teams or, or most of the, the playoff teams, you know, they, they have two legit arms. And, and you have a bullpen that, that has, you know, pretty much what I like to call three closers. You know, you, you need three closers nowadays. You know, the, the Phillies, it seems like they have like five. But you, you, you need three guys to, to be high leverage guys. And Arizona has that. You know, uh, Paul, you have uh, Kev, and you have uh, uh, Ryan. Um, Ryan was a huge pickup for the team as well. You know, I believe he was picked up off waivers and, and I've faced him all the time. And I, I know personally how, how nasty he is, um, especially against right-handed um, batters with that arm angle and, and, and his stuff. Um, then, then what you're also forgetting is Marte. Marte is a baller. You know, he's a guy who potentially, you know, he's a, I think 30 home run guy. He hits the ball really hard. Um, he could steal bases and he plays great defense. Then you have Seawalk. You know, one thing um, I, I was impressed with with Walker, I didn't I didn't know how good of a defensive first baseman he is. He is elite, 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 elite defensively. He he and you know he a thirty home run guy, and I, I believe he stole ten bags. They have a very solid core up the middle. Defensively, they the D backs might be one of the strongest defending teams in the game up the middle. With with um, I, I call him G baby, you know uh, Moreno, Gold Glover, Marte is a great defender. Then uh, you know shortstop they have Perdomo and and um, Lawler coming up, and in center field you have a Gold Glover to me and, and Thomas. You know they're they're so strong defensively up the middle, and and you know they have two horses really really all they really need is you know just filling filling out the rest of the roster with with guys that are great fits um in that clubhouse on that team they're they're gonna have to be they're gonna have to sign the right veterans you know i one thing i noticed with when you have a young team like that you want to bring in the right veterans yeah, one thing that I heard uh, from people in the Diamondbacks organization is that you were the right veteran for that clubhouse. Uh, what is it about you? Uh, we know that you're very candid uh, and you'll tell it like it is. You know, I, and I agree with you, by the way. Moreno is a future superstar, and as is Carroll, obviously. They've they got some players there. What do you think you did for that team? Because uh, I think they were very appreciative uh, of what you added to that team, not only in the lineup, but in the clubhouse. Man, I, I care about the game. I care about the game. Um, I still care about. I, I look at the. I look at this game as as not only the game itself, but also you know a business. You know, if if I was running a business, 
you know, I, I was hiring employees. I, I would want the employees that will go out and, and put their heart out for me. You know, there might be times where it doesn't look like that for me, but I, I still care. Uh, I still care about winning. I care about getting better still. You know, when, when you factor those two things in, it just, you'll know that with me, you're going to get someone that's going to prepare every day, that's still trying to get better every day, that cares about winning every day. And, and when you apply that to, to a team, you know, it, it has more of an effect on young guys, of course, versus, you know, veteran players. It's hard for a young player in the game to see a guy like in my, in, I'm going to give you an example. When I, when I was called up with St. Louis, it was hard for me not to go every day and not prepare the right way. When I saw Yachty and Wainwright working hard every day, you know, I saw them in the video room, the weight room, the trainer's room, out on the field and in the cages. I was like, okay, this is what it takes to be great. This is what it takes to be a pro. This is what it takes to stay in the league. That, you know, that always just stuck with me. You know, I, I was lucky to have two great examples. You know, Tommy, we had Mark Hanna on the show uh, not long after you had made your comments about questioning maybe the work ethic of some of the guys on the Mets. And to your work ethic, Mark Hanna actually said it was difficult. It's difficult to some degree for everyone else because he said he he's not sure he's ever seen anyone work harder than you. So that almost everybody, by that definition, uh, it would be hard to work work as hard. You're on our show now. We obviously have a lot of people in the New York market. What were you talking about when you when you said those things about the Mets? Yeah, it's it's a tough situation to talk about, you know, because. I'm 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 tired of being in the in the headlines regarding regarding <laughs> you know the only what my comment about them. <laughs> I, I was pretty clear when I said it, you know, and and we could put it to an end here today. But the thing I didn't like in New York as as a player was in May we were consistently rolling out one group for batting practice. I don't think you guys understand the importance of that because if you re, if you recall. I wasn't playing every day, April and May. So batting practice is my time to shag in the outfield. Out Shagging fly balls in the outfield d- during batting practice is the closest thing I could get to game. And when you're not playing every day, you need that. That is a necessity so that you can stay sharp, okay, because you're not getting game reps. When you only have one group taking batting practice and you're a part of that one group, that means, you know, let, let's say a group is four or five rounds of, of batting practice, you know. So for half of that group, I had to go out and shag in the outfield. Then the other half, I would go in and hit for, you know, because there's only one group, the group you know, the, the one or two groups I'm, I'm not hitting. So it was it was a problem to me because I'm not playing every day. It's also not something that's common. Not in not in May. You know, you might see one group roll out in September, but not in May. And it's just it's a, it's a veteran team. You know, guys have have done it for so long that a lot of guys just don't like batting practice. But as a teammate, I, I would want guys. I would want at least two groups of batting practice groups in May, second month of the season, and we're rolling out one group. And um, you know, guys just prepare different. You know, when you've been in the league so long. 
Um, guys have different routines. Some guys like to only hit in the cage before a game. Some guys, from what I saw this year, only like to hit, you know, right before the game to sharpen up their swing. Some guys like to do early work, you know, early work on the field. Everyone's different. But I can tell you this, out of all the teams I played on, minus the Mets, you know, we were rolling out more than one group in May. So that's the only problem I had because, like I said, I wasn't playing every day. And I I had to stay sharp so that when my name was called to play, that I give the team the best chance to win. You know, I'm not out there looking like, um, you know, I'm first day of spring training. Just to make sure I understand, we don't have to belabor this forever, but with only one group, does that mean you didn't have the opportunity to take batting practice or there weren't enough guys who, who volunteered? No, no. So, so, so that was that. I'm sorry if I didn't explain it so that you understood. Let's say there's, we do five rounds of batting practice. I would I would shag two of those five rounds, then the last three I would come in and to hit batting practice. So I wasn't I wasn't batting practice because I had to shag you know two of the five rounds. You know when when you when you're at the big league level, you know nothing is kind of forced on you. You know it's just all about how you know you being a pro. So Tommy, just just because I think it will lead, I think you enjoyed playing for Buck Walter in New York. I wonder if I could ask you about, you know, because ultimately Buck wasn't kept here. So can I ask you what you thought of Buck? And also, should it be incumbent upon a veteran manager to say, hey, I need more than four or five guys taking batting practice for the reasons that you were speaking about and be able to put his veteran foot down and do something about it? Certainly. Guys might be dealing with injuries, you know, um, to where, you know, it's more important to get treatment than to continue to, you know, to do more practice, you know, availability is, is more important than, than, you know, being on the bench, uh, hurt. If Buck wants to manage, Buck should be managing in this game. He offers too much to the game as a manager to not be managing. Buck is one of the smartest baseball minds in the game. You could learn so much from him, just, you know, standing by him and the way he sees stuff He'll he'll call something out, then it happens, and you're just like, wow, you know, he he knows the game. Buck really knows the game. Buck has doctored this game. He he deserves to be managing. He's a straight shooter. As a as a player, all you can ask for is your manager to be honest with you. That's all you can ask for. Because when when I've been I've I've seen other parts of the the opposite part of that, and it it, it it's just terrible. The players won't – you lose the respect of the player. You know, you started out with St. Louis, played there with several years, but you've been going, you know, basically a team a year on average. Uh, Boston, you played with Tampa, you had Mets, Arizona, I'm sure I'm leaving many out. Uh, how is this life for you, number one? And number two, how are you doing now? I know when I was covering you in the NLCS, you had turf toe, you were playing through. How are you now doing? And how's this been to go from, do you mind uh, playing on a different team every year or would you like to settle down somewhere? Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect to get traded this year. So uh, it, it was a little hard for me. The last season, I, I, I expected to get traded, but this year I didn't. So it, th- that was hard. Sometimes uh, fans really just don't understand the business side of baseball. You know, when, when, you, when you're signing one-year deals um, like me, and a lot of that is due to because of me, because of my, you know, me underperforming. 
when you're signing one year deals, the way this game works around the trade deadline, you know, you when you're on expiring deal and, and you there's teams that are trying to contend, your contract or or you as a player looks a whole lot more appealing to the team that you're on. And and when you're on a team that's losing, you know, they rather get something for you than to keep you. That's just, you know, business one-on-one, basically. Do I like getting traded? Getting traded in the middle of the season is one of the toughest things in, in this game. It's it's not easy to just pack up your stuff and, and go to a new team. Especially, uh, you know, when I got traded to Arizona, I, I didn't really know anybody personally on the team other than Kyle Lewis. So, you know, the human element side to that, you know, where you got to learn your learn your, your new teammates. Um, you got to really figure out how to process certain guys. It, it, it's tough, you know, to, to fix that, play better. Play That's a better. Buck Show Walterism, Walterism right? Is like uh, you, uh, you want to change it, win, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, it's up to me to play better. Tommy, you mentioned this during the postseason when we talked a little bit was and and John kind of detailed it. You've been a free agent each of the last two seasons. You've been traded at the deadline each of the last two seasons. I think you've been traded four times in all, three times at the deadline. You've been with seven teams. And I think just in frustration one day when we were chatting, you went, I've either got to get a no trade clause or an assignment clause. is So that makes it a little tougher to, to, to get traded. So tell us your free agent. What is the most important thing? You know, you're in your mid-30s now. You've been in a lot of places. You clearly care about winning. What's most important to Tommy Pham right now? I don't view myself as a platoon player. So I I, I don't – I'm not comfortable going into a situation where they're saying, hey, you know, you're only going to play against lefties. I, I still want to play every day. That, that's that's most important to me than, than winning. Than winning, of course. I want to play on a team that, of course, you know, I feel like, you know, they – they aspire to be in in the playoff postseason. And uh, from what you've heard so far, that's good. You believe that's going to happen from the early early feelers. We're only a couple of weeks into free agency. You, you believe you're going to be able to get the two things you're looking for, which is playing time and the ability to do it without with what you think is a high level team. Because again, last year you thought the Mets were going to be a high level team, but a team you believe you'll play a lot and will be playing important games in September and maybe October. Absolutely. You know, I had one more question for you. You were four for four in a World Series game. I think well, you've you've had three four hit games in the postseason, same as Pujols, right? I think you have the record. Uh, you had a shot to be at five hits, and you told uh, Tori Lovello, uh, "Go ahead and put Jace Peterson in the in the game for me the fifth time." Why, why? Why? That was very nice. I think. Why? Why did you do that? You could have you could have gotten been a five hit World Series player. Yeah, both that would have been cool. But looking back at it now, that was an easy decision, and it, it was the right decision because one, Jace, Jace is a stand-up guy. Everybody would would do it for him. And and two, and looking back at it now, that I, I believe that was his only at bat in the World Series. So I, I would happily drop that five for five to get him his 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 at bat in the World Series. That, that's a no-brainer. Well, you used a term, Tommy, that I'm pretty confident I could. I don't like to speak for John, but I'm going to hear you're a stand-up guy. Uh, we appreciated that. Uh, we appreciate it wherever you're playing. We certainly appreciated it in the Met Clubhouse. So, uh, best of luck to you in your free agency and wherever you end up. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. And thanks for joining us on the show, Tommy. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Appreciate it. 
We, of course, thank Tommy Pham for joining the show. John, hit or error? You know, I'm going to say the Phillies for bringing Aaron Nola back. I'm going to take the easy route here. Um, you know, he's obviously been a very dependable pitcher for them. Why take a chance on somebody else? He loved it there. They got him for probably a little bit less than somebody else was willing to offer. They got it done. That's the way Dave Dombrowski operates. I think the Phillies, uh, they're all kind of friends of the show, right? We've had on Sam Fold and uh, Rob Thompson a couple times and Dave Dombrowski, but uh, not the reason I'm picking them. Uh, they got their man and uh, they're still working. I mean, I, I think they're hoping for Yamamoto. I don't know what their chances are. Just about everybody wants Yamamoto, but uh, I'll give a gold star to the Phillies this week for locking up Aranola quickly. John, you know, maybe we need to start consulting about this beforehand because I was going to do this. So why, why don't I reconfigure a little? I'll touch on a bit of yours. From for my hit, I'll do Alex Anthopoulos and Dave Dombrowski. Uh, I like executives who kind of know what they like and like what they want and go and do things instead of playing the long game uh, over the offseason. I think they're both literalists. We we deal in error now with a lot of executives who are like, hey, the way to improve is you could score more or give up less and they need a third baseman. And then they well, I don't like the prices on the third baseman. They get a starting pitcher and you still need the third baseman. When Dave Dombrowski needs something, he goes and gets it. When Alex Anthopoulos needs something, he's aggressive. And I think that they merged here because I think the Braves were one of the more aggressive teams. They cleared out some payroll. They cleared out roster spots. They have been beaten in both of Nola's starts the last two postseasons when Atlanta was eliminated by Philadelphia. This was a player they wanted. And I think the Phillies acted boldly. They probably didn't intend to go to seven years but to keep an historic player, which is another thing I like, it looks like a player who will play his whole career there. I kind of like that. That's that's my, my we're kind of a joint hit here. Yeah, I mean, one thing the Phillies did do is they did come up quite a bit. And I've seen different numbers thrown around, but I, I've been told, and I think it's on good authority, that the Phillies were around $100 million in spring training. And Nola's side was around $200 million. And he pitched one more year and he had a four something year right now. He was very good in the postseason. I was there for the NLCS. He, three out of his four games were excellent. So overall, he's gotten through the year. He's again been dependable. He hasn't gotten hurt. And he had a very good postseason, but not a great regular season, four and a half ERA. And he went up from 100 million or thereabouts to 172 million, still less than that. At least one other team was willing to offer. Might have been Atlanta. I know St. Louis was in there as well. Uh, but you know what? The Phillies uh, do what it takes. They've been great in free agency, particularly other teams' free agency. Schwarber's been great. Castellanos has been very good. Harper's obviously been amazing. Wheeler's been amazing. So uh, they know what they're doing in, in free agency. They know the value of things. And uh, I think Aaron Nola is worth it. Yeah, I think it's their seventh player who will make over $20 million a year next year. Uh, we wouldn't be surprised if they kept if they extended Zach Wheeler and got Yamamoto or someone else before the end. All subjects we'll keep talking about if you keep listening to uh, the, the show, a podcast from the New York Post. As always, we thank our producers, Andrew Hartz and Jake Brown. Don't forget, this podcast drops on the Yes app. Uh, we'll do so about Wednesday at noon. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. And the hot stove is burning. John, I'm going to do it for both of us. Everybody who's a listener, have a happy, healthy Thanksgiving. And we'll be back again next week with the show.